sec uh, the second week of our series, The Journey, and thank you very much, worship team, for leading us this morning and just into a time of preparation as we talk this morning about overcoming obstacles. And if you've ever been on a journey, uh, you know that there are going to be obstacles, whether it's driving, and you have some sort of vehicle problems, or you get lost, or you're running out of fuel, or if you're hiking, you roll an ankle, or whatever it might be, if you are on a journey, uh, you are um, at some point going to run into an obstacle of some kind. And as we're going through this letter of uh, the book of Joshua, uh, we're going to see that Joshua uh, and the Israelites often run into obstacles and different difficulties, and, and we're going to look at some of that this morning. Last week we started and we said that, you know, we're, the goal is to get from here to there. Uh, you can't stop moving, you have to continue to move forward, and that's all part of a journey. If you're on a journey, a journey isn't sitting still at home thinking about leaving. It's not about getting halfway and then stopping and then saying, yep, we're on this journey and we're just stopped. If, if you would say to someone, we're on a journey, the natural assumption that they would have is that you're going from one place to another. And so that's kind of the heart behind this series. But now today, as we look at uh, Joshua chapter 6, we're going to look at some of the obstacles that they experienced and then obviously consider how do you overcome obstacles in your life. Now, I also want this just to be again clear is I want you to divide this series. I want you to divide this whole um, series into kind of two parts, two ways of approaching it. One is obviously for us as a church as a whole. Um, you know, and how we move and how we journey and obstacles that we may face and, and, and all of those sort of things. But I also want you to process this as far as your own spiritual journey. Every single one of us is on a journey and every one of you um, needs to go from one place to the next. You can't just stay where you are at spiritually today and be there for the rest of your lives. If you have that intention or motivation, you're going to actually find yourself moving backwards. And so we want to move from one place to the next. So see this whole series as sort of two parts, as the, what applies to us as a church and then also what applies to you as, or to each one of us as individuals. So we looked at chapter one last week uh, and we focused on the importance of moving forward, uh, whether as a church or individuals. And so today we want to look at chapter six. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Joshua chapter six. We're going to read a good chunk of that letter today. Um, but I would love for you, again, to have your Bibles out. And this is this time, this is the story, Joshua 6, is about facing Jericho, going up against the walls of Jericho, meeting the city. And the people of, um, of God find themselves now in this place where they have to make a decision, will they continue forward or will they stay where they are? Are they going to go the, you know, the distance and the direction that God wanted them or are they going to you know, stay back because of the obstacles that they face? Now, they may struggle at times. And if you think about this, they have struggled with some of this stuff in the past, in their lives. They, they were at a place like this once where they also faced obstacles. And then instead of moving forward at that time, they stayed still. They did not, they did not move forward. Now, to better understand what I mean by that, we need to, again, give a little bit of backstory on what happened previously in the lives of this, this, this people, the Israelites. So if you have your Bibles, just hold your finger to Joshua chapter 6, but then page back a few books to Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, we see 
what happened previously when they had an opportunity to take the land, the land that God had promised them. Because they were not at the exact same location as now, but they were once right on the border of where God wanted them to be. And God was like, I want you to go, and you're ready to go in. And so they sent spies into the land to see what it was like. And you may have heard the story before, but these 12 spies were sent into this promised land. And one of those spies, of course, was Joshua, who were now the book that we're now looking at. And so Moses decided that they had to... You know, back in Numbers chapter 13, they had to figure out what approach to take. What kind of a military campaign were they up against? What kind of a military campaign would it take to inhabit the land that they were now going into? And so he needed information, and he needed first-hand information. So he sent 12 spies, and I want you to look really quickly at Numbers chapter 13, verses 18, because look at what they were told to look for. This is Moses speaking, giving the... the uh, the, the um, spies their instructions. He says, See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertilized or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So those are just some of the instructions that God gave to these spies. And they're like, I want you to go into the land. I want you to check out the land. So Moses sent these um, 12 spies. Like I said, one of them was Joshua, the other one Caleb. And they explored the land. They went as far north as Lebo Hamath. Now, I have a map here for you. And this, you know, it's not the best map, but uh, take a look. So there you see the red line is the journey up north. And that distance right there is about 150 miles. Okay, so you see it's not that far. And that, the beginning stage there, that's where they are now in Numbers chapter 13. And this is where, from where they were now ready to enter the promised land. It took them 40 days to go up and back down. Okay, and so that's an important number because later on you're going to see that it, the Israelites, because they don't obey, they ended up wandering 40 years in the wilderness, one day for every day that they were. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But you might be wondering, so if you have that map up, where are the people now in, in Joshua chapter 6? So if you throw the next map up, I didn't do a great job. You see the tiny circle? Yeah, all right. Well, if you don't, I'm sorry. But it's right above the, the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. That little circle, that's where they are now in Joshua chapter 6 or roughly in that area. Okay, And so you see they are now at a place where they need to cross over into the promised land. So again, what Joshua has done is he has sent spies again to go in. Now, why did they end up facing such an obstacle? Why didn't they take the land the first time? The main reason is because out of the 12 spies, 10 of them said it can't be done. 10 of them were like, there is no way we can go in there. And Joshua and Caleb, they did their best to say, yes, we can take the land. But these people, the 10 other spies, were like, we are literally like grasshoppers in the eyes of these people. We cannot go in and take the land. And like I said, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 34, this is where God said, for every day that the spies were in that land exploring, you will wander in the wilderness for one year. 
And so the spies were in the, uh, exploring for 40 days, and so they ended up wandering the wilderness for 40 years. And if you look at that map again real quick, can you imagine being there, and it took you 40 years to where you are now, and it took the spies only 40 days to go all the way up and come back down. See, they were on a journey, but their journey ran into obstacles, and these obstacles had a significant impact on how the people moved forward, okay? So you and I today need to look at this, you know, the chapter we're about to read or portion of the chapter we're about to read because Joshua now is going to find himself again facing an obstacle. And if you're, and, and you know, whether you're online right now watching there or here, you need to recognize that in your life you're going to have obstacles. You can't wish for them not to be there. You can't plan for them not to be there. There's going to be obstacles in your life. And so now the Israelites, you know, Joshua chapter 6, they find themselves in a very similar mind in a sense or mindset or situation as they did previously. And now they have to decide, will we be obedient this time or will we do what we did last time and not listen and obey. And the thing is, whether it, as a church or whether as an individual, and I think I want to, uh, you to focus a little bit more for a moment in your own personal life. You and I are going to arrive at crossroads in our spiritual journeys. And I'm not even talking about just life. I'm talking about your spiritual journey. You are going to face these crossroads, these moments in your life spiritually speaking, where you're going to have to wrestle through what is God asking me to do? What is God wanting me to do? And it may not always be as clear as we want it to be, but in these moments, we have to remember the goal is to always move forward. It is not to stop. It is not to retreat. It is not to give up. It is to move forward. God has a divine plan for every single one of us. He has a divine plan for all of us, but we have to seek his direction in the midst of the difficulties and the confrontations that we may fall um, that may follow. And Joshua teaches us how to overcome these obstacles that would want to keep us from being where God wants us to be. So you've caught up now. You know a little bit of the backstory. If you didn't know it before, you know a little bit of a backstory as to why it took so long. And, and maybe, you know, as you read the text, you're going to see some little, you know, indications of talking and referring back to that time in Numbers. But now you need to know that the Israelites have found themselves now where they have crossed over the Jordan River. They have crossed through it. If you read previous chapters, you see that they have now crossed through. And they're sent out, these two spies... The spies go to this woman's house, uh, Rahab, and the king finds out that there's these people, people here from the Israelite people, and so the entire city is shut down. The, the soldiers go out to find these two spies, and Rahab does this amazing job of protecting them. And if you ever want a cool study, Rahab's history and the lineage of Jesus, it's amazing. You know, and, and here Rahab hides these spies, and then she makes this thing, if... If I hide you, you protect me when you take the city. And it's very clear from Rahab that the entire city expects to be conquered. And so there is where we find ourselves now. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, let's read it. So we're going to read all the way up to verse 21. And uh, have your Bibles ready. I'd love for you to follow along. It's going to be on the screen. 
Um, those of you watching on home, sorry, it's going to be a black screen with letters for quite some time because I'm not a super fast reader. But let's take some time. And I want you to listen to the details of this story up to verse 21. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets um, before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the, um, the Lord's Covenant followed them. The army armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voice, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. On the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet's blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze Bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men had gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. They took the city. 
They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, sheep and donkeys. There we go. 21 verses read. That took longer than I thought. I'm looking at the time going, oh boy, I got to move now. But before we move forward, I want to take just a few minutes and just talk about that last verse. Because some of us may be a little bit bothered by all the killing. So here it is, God's people. And they go in and they killed and massacred everyone. And I know for some people, they they have trouble with this. But unfortunately, this was the way it was. and, And this was also a way of cleansing the land from all the evil that was in it. This is Old Testament. And this is the way God rid the land of other gods and, and all the, uh, the Baal worshippers, or not Baal, all the other idol worshippers and such. But you need to also take some solace in the fact that it may not have been quite as extreme as it sometimes sounds. I want to introduce you to this concept of hyperbole. And this is something that is used a lot in the Old Testament. And what that word means is this exaggeration. When you hyperbole, when you write in that sense, you could say, yeah, they had an accident or they crashed into something. It's a way of saying, you know, yeah, they wiped them out when really it wasn't maybe quite so strong. So for some of you that are sitting here going, man, like that really bothers me that it sounds like that. It could be part of that because victors tend to tell the story and they tend to make it sound great. Now, what we do know is that God rid that land of evil. And that God used the Israelites to do that. But if you're struggling with some of that hyperbole, maybe one of the ways that you could kind of say, well, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as it sounded. Anyway, we didn't come here to talk about that, but that is an important part because you see it in in all the battles that are coming. You see some pretty crazy things. And I know for a lot of people that, that it's a struggle sometimes to understand the violence in the Old Testament. So we are here today to talk about how do we overcome obstacles? How do we overcome obstacles? If we were to take a moment and just give each other time and talk about the obstacles that you're facing, I'm sure some of you today are facing some pretty drastic obstacles, pretty significant obstacles. It could be a range of things. It might be completely within yourself. And so this isn't going to be a how-to necessarily in, in detail as to what to do with your obstacle, but I think it's an overall principle And Because in this passage, Joshua gives us three principles of what to do when it comes to obstacles. The first one is this. We overcome obstacles through communication. We overcome obstacles through communication. In Joshua chapter 6, we read that Jericho was locked up tight. The people of Israel had basically no military training, much less experience. This wasn't a group of people walking through the wilderness having a long history of military might. They were slaves. They were bricks and you know, mortar makers. And, and they did like the most you know, basic jobs for the Egyptians. That was their history. That's what their parents would have done for multiple generations. And their children now did not grow up having all kinds of military might. So how do they now face this obstacle, this wall, because they were not necessarily well-trained soldiers. The major obstacle facing Joshua was, of course, the walled city of Jericho. If you could not conquer this city, if they could not conquer this city, their journey was basically over. 
The Israelites did not have much choice as far as what to do. They had to conquer this particular city. So how would they scale the walls? How would they take the city? What was the plan? Can you imagine as the leader looking at this going, I don't have the brains to figure out what to do with this. I'm sure some of us have had similar situations where we're looking at a situation going, I don't know what to do. I, I kind of have an idea of what needs to be done. I don't know what's wrong with our marriage. I just know my marriage is not good. I don't know what's going on with my kids. I just know that the relationship is not good. I don't know what's happening with my finances. I just know my finances are good. My job, my all kinds of things. You are probably looking at an obstacle right now saying, I have an idea of what needs to be done, but I don't know what to do. And that's where Joshua finds himself. So I'm sure when we face those obstacles, we often launch into understanding it for ourselves, trying to figure it all. But what we see in this chapter is this communication between God and Joshua. Look at verse 2 again. Then the Lord said to Joshua, there's this conversation. Now, that concept, that you know, idea of the Lord said, it, it may ring a little weird for us because God doesn't necessarily verbally speak to us in that same way, but God is still speaking to us this day. He says, I have, set, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with the king and its fighting men, verses five and, uh, 2 to 5. So whatever our obstacle is, we have to recognize that we are not facing it on our own. We need to be in communication with God. God has committed himself to communicating with us by providing strength, comfort, and hope to us. If we are up against the wall in a sense, we need to recognize that we do not necessarily have to know how to deal with it ourselves. And so we shouldn't try to overcome it on our own Try everything we can first by ourselves and then commit ourselves to hearing and being led by God. Let's allow God to lead us and direct us first. Part of communicating with God is listening. Think about that for a moment. In your time with God, in your communication with God, and if you want to understand this more, a few, we a few months earlier we did a whole series on prayer and I would encourage you to watch that. But in your communication with God, how much of the time is spent listening? My guess is most of us, when we pray, we talk. And we're like, well, God, I want to hear from you. And then we never make time to hear. We never make time to be still. We never make time to be silent. And one of the things that you see is there's a lot of emphasis multiple times in the Old Testament and in the New around silence. Even in this, the men were to walk around. The only noise was the trumpets. The people were to be silent. It was like, even in this moment, it was God was to be heard, not people. So do we listen to God? Are we allowing God to speak to us because we, you know, are we giving him time? Are we being silent before him, allowing him to speak to us? Or are we the ones always speaking? Are we the ones always rationalizing, trying to figure things out? How often... Do we truly, truly listen? And this is true both in our relationship with God, but it's also true in our relationship with one another. And this is kind of where the aspect now of our church, us as a um, community. Are we together listening to God? Are we together listening to one another? Because we will need at times to just be silent, to hear what the person said, not react to it, to hear what was meant not what we understood. 
So there's something beautiful about listening, both to God and to each other. And so one of the first ways that we overcome an obstacle is through communication. The second one that we see is through obedience. Verses 6 and 7. I wonder sometimes what went through Joshua's mind when God first said to him, and this is how we're going to do it. Can you imagine? Like, okay, you brought us this far, and guess what? We're going to march around a city playing music. And maybe it was the kind of music that the people in Jericho would have just not been able to stand. I don't know if you can do country with, you know, trumpets and stuff, but maybe it was the beginning of um, country music, but who knows? Probably not the approach that, God ex- um, that Joshua expected. Why wouldn't God have sent fire? Just done. See, the thing I want you to understand is that sometimes we want God to act in a certain way, a certain method. And I need you to hear today, as a church and as an individual, the method is not as important as obedience. God could have sent fire, and it would have required no obedience from the people. What God was after was the obedience of the people more than the method. He could do whatever he wanted to do. What he wanted in this situation was not for his power to be on display without the people's obedience. And this is an important part of overcoming an obstacle. We must be willing to be obedient. God instructed the people to march around the, the city. You just heard me read it. And they circled the city, you know, finally seven times, and they shouted, and God delivered the city into their hands. What an act of faith it was for Joshua to march the people around that city. No previous battle had been won this way, and I don't know of any battle that's been won like that since. Yet around the city they marched. It was an act of faith. It was an act of obedience. As they acted as if God had already done what he had promised he would do. Imagine how silly they would have looked had nothing happened. Joshua led the people in faith, in obedience, recognizing that God would accomplish for them what he had promised he would do. Their obedience to God produced wonder. We read, this is interesting, we read of no negative spirit. No discouragement. No one was throwing out any, you know, this won't work. You see that all throughout the journey. As soon as they had a little bit of a complicated situation, the people spoke up and said, why wouldn't you have just left us in, you know, in Egypt? And why did you bring us out here to die? We read none of that in this moment. The people were obedient. There was no disbelief from what we read. At least it's not mentioned. And as they marched circle after circle after circle around the city, I'm sure every single person marching would have looked at the wall, either on their left or on their right, and they would have looked at that wall, and this would have seemed like an impossible situation. What are we doing marching? Look at this wall. But we don't read that any of them allowed the impossibility to become something that was negative in their attitude, in their hearts. They were obedient to what God had called them to do. And so they walked. They walked in obedience. They complied with what God had called them to do. So you and I today, as a church, as individuals, 
need to walk in obedience to what God has called us to do. So answer yourself this question. What's your obstacle? What are you, what are you up against today? What's your obstacle? I wonder if some of us have prayed for direction for that obstacle. We have sought God, and God responded. Maybe, you know, however God did it, he, he gave you a direction. He gave you an approach, and you didn't like it. And it was like, no, <laughs> if that's what I have to do, then I'm not doing it. And it wasn't that God didn't answer. It wasn't that God didn't lead. It wasn't that God didn't give you, uh, you know, insight on what to do. It was we didn't obey. Maybe the answer to some of our obstacles are right in front of us today. But we hesitate to line up our lives with God. Obedience is the issue, not God. Imagine for a moment if Joshua had listened to God and then concluded that this battle plan of God was rubbish. This wasn't going to work. And instead of, you know, he came up with his own plan and he, he came up with his own idea. We would be reading this text today not on how to overcome obstacles. We would be reading this text today on how not to overcome obstacles because obedience was the key. It was not how God would conquer the city that was really in de uh, or on debate. It all depended on whether or not the people would obey. So regardless of what has happened in the previous months for us today, there will be no excuse before God if we are not obedient to his son, Jesus. We will never be able to say, one day before judgment, I treated people the way I treated because of COVID. It's not going to fly. You will never be able to say, I lost my temper because I was so frustrated because of all the whatever. It's not going to fly. I said the things I said, whether it was my job or whether it was this or this, not going to fly. Because God is not interested in the obstacles that we face. He, he recognizes the obstacles. What he is interested in and what he wants us to experience is our obedience to him. That's what he wants us to focus on. Are we going to be obedient to him? So the question is simple. On that day, when we stand before Christ, did we obey what Scripture commanded us to do? Did we give our lives to Him? Did we surrender our lives fully to Jesus? Did we live according to the example that Jesus gave us? Did we line up our lives with the teachings in the Gospels? That is what we will be held accountable for, not how hard the obstacle was. Because God has a history of overcoming impossible obstacles. The third way to overcome obstacles is through confidence. Go back again to Joshua chapter 6, 20 to 21. We'll read this again. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And, the sound, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. It was uncommon common sense to believe that God could make the impossible possible. Joshua displays a confidence here that God could do what he said he would do. 
you and I today, where is our confidence in God? To what level are we confident that God can see us through the obstacles that we are in today? You see, the walls were not the problem. They were just walls. They were never the problem. The people were the problem. And we are almost always the problem. God has the power to do what He wants. He desires that we would live and act in obedience. That we would be obedient to Him because we are confident that He can do what we want. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 30 reminds us, It was by faith that the wall of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Joshua and the people of God demonstrated deep confidence in the power of God. It's a church together. Do we have that confidence in God today? That some of the division, some of the tension, some of the, maybe even the loss of vision that we are up against today, and then there's a lot of other little topical differences that we may bump into, and, and there's a wide range of that. Do we have confidence in God today that He can lead us through all of this? And I know the easy answer is yes. But here's the thing. If we do not have confidence, we will not be obedient. So there might be times in our lives where it's the confidence that's causing us to be obedient and disobedient, because if we don't have confidence in God, we will not be obedient to him. So for the Israelites, they had to take Jericho. Something that would have seemed impossible to them to do as a people. People that were untrained, a people that didn't have the resources, people that had never done this before. It would have seemed like an impossibility for them. Maybe your obstacle seems just as impossible. So whatever your obstacle is, again, whether as a church or as an individual, Let's start by listening to God, speaking to Him, and listening to Him. Just allowing ourselves that moment, whether it's in the morning or during the day or at nighttime, just to kind of push all the distractions and all the noise and all the demands aside for a moment and just listen, genuinely listen. And then we need to be obedient. Whatever he is calling us to do, whatever he is speaking us and to us and asking us to do, and the Gospels would be the kind of the place to start, lining our lives up in obedience and being confident that he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Joshua and for the story of how they, together, obviously with your power, took Jericho. Lord, all of us in some way have a Jericho in our lives an obstacle, something to overcome. And so there's no need for us to name any here because we all know them. We all know what they are in our lives. So Lord, I pray for each one of us as individuals that we would hear you speak, that we would find a way to silence ourselves, to be before you, to read your word, to hear you speak into our lives that we would be obedient and that we would be confident that you're not done. Best is yet to come. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day.